Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. I'm your host, Gabe BC, and for those of you just joining us for the first time, this is a podcast about the intersection of art and technology. Each week, I'll be having a conversation with another artist, curator, inventor, robot, museum specialist, or CEO about how creative people are working with tech. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear more about, feel free to send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. All right, let's get this week's episode started off. Last summer, I had the pleasure of going to the Currents New Media Festival in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, if you haven't been before, I highly recommend it. In fact, I think they just put out a call for um, people to submit their projects for this upcoming year. So go ahead and uh, look into that if you're a digital artist looking for a place to show your work. Uh, but while I was there, I happened to see this performance by a duo called Emotional Store. Uh, and it kind of blew me away. Uh, Emotional Store are two artists, Bailey Hikawa and Scotty Wagner. Uh, they're a collaborative duo that create large-scale multimedia performance projects that explore the newly forming collective consciousness brought on by the union of the physical and virtual. Uh, what that means, from what I saw, was sort of an interactive live video blogging performance piece that covered all sorts of topics from uh, Amazon to free Wi-Fi to Yayoi Kusama. Um, it's very hard to explain without actually talking to them themselves. Um, so this week, I'd like to bring them on the podcast. Bailey and Scotty, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank oh, you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for being yeah, here. Super so, excited. So just to start off, um, what is an emotional store? Why did you call your performance duo this? Um, well, uh, we were creating a project uh, last year, and the project involved basically a minor addiction problem that I have, which is purchasing domain names that uh, <laughs> uh -huh. go into the domain name cemetery. <laughs> and we, Bailey, really, um, what I wasn't it right, Bailey? You sort of just kept feeling like emotional store, uh, which I think was your idea, just really rang true for us as a collective entity that it just felt like it encapsulated so much of what we were trying to do with our projects. Is that right? Yeah, we kept coming back to it as this um, kind of overarching symbol of what we were doing. And then we were like, oh, instead of trying to figure out why it fits in some project, maybe that's our name. So that just yeah, kind of, that's how it happened. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we knew, yeah we knew we wanted a name, and then we just went and retroactively renamed ourselves from the year before that we'd been worse. So we <laughs> changed we changed some credits in our first project so that it said it was by emotional store. Oh, nice! So it's yeah. overriding yeah. the truth there. Uh, exactly, we're all about that. <laughs> so before we talk about what emotional store actually is, your performances that you do, um, how did you meet? How did you connect? And what sort of inspired the emergence of emotional store? We met in the Oakland art scene in, what was it, Scotty, 2012? 2012. Think, okay. Yeah. yeah. So 2012, I was coming out of art school at the time. Scotty was living in Oakland and Oakland had this really great, small, engaged art scene that um, we we met and we collaborated at the time with a few multimedia projects with, with other collaborators and really different work actually um, right. than what we're doing now. Yeah, we collab. Yeah, we, we met each other there and um, I was doing, you know, uh, more performance stuff and Bailey was doing more sculptural installation work. And then we naturally wanted to work with one another because Bailey was, 
getting into set design for theater and live performance and you know live performers always need to work with uh, you know art directors and stuff so we we met and uh, we did a couple um, performance projects together and then we sort of you know I moved away Bailey moved away we sort of lost touch and then a couple years later um, in 2017 I guess yeah we reconnected and in I Los had Angeles in Los Angeles, yeah, at an Ann Carson poetry reading. Oh, wow. Actually. That was amazing. Bailey, what was it like to jump from um, sort of your background in set design and painting and sculpture into doing performance? Oh, my. So hard. It was so hard. Oh, boy. So much You're opening resistance. up a can of worms here, Gabe. This is. We've <laughs> opened it up early on in the podcast, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I, I, you know, I don't identify as a performance artist and the work that we are doing. I, I am performing in the work. So I guess I do perform at this point. Um, but it was a really hard transition and it's still really hard for me. I still feel more connected to being in the background and more connected to objects and aesthetics and at the same time, I can't deny that every time we finish a live show, there's some kind of elation and satisfaction that I feel. So it's like a huge release at that point that you're <laughs> you've made it yeah, through. I yeah, I think it's a huge it's release that. that we've made it through. <laughs> I mean, we we deal with so many issues that we can get into about identity and selfhood and you know our own personas and our digital selves that at that point it felt it almost it almost felt like the content of our work made it so that I didn't have to feel like I was performing and therefore mm. I've been able to perform in our work with the with the with the understanding and with my own unconscious belief that like actually I'm just enacting real life in this in some other realm and we're just kind of playing out a metaphor of what it means to have digital cells so i i'm okay with it but it's really hard for me so when i was in santa fe i got to see your piece 100 year plan um and the way it's set up is the audience is sitting in, in you know normal theater and in front of them is a big screen and behind that screen is the two of you uh performing live on a <laughs> webcast uh, and you're broadcasting right. everything that's happening from behind the screen. So what what is this piece about? What is a hundred year plan about? Is it like an infomercial? Uh, <laughs> is it a, a live video blog? Um, how would you like describe it to someone who's never seen it before? Uh, well, yeah, it's essentially all of those things. Um, it kind of this setup for it was inspired as a combination of like what we imagine someone going to see like a sitcom like Seinfeld or something mm -hmm. um, would experience except in the, let's just say the digital realm or the more modern realm, which is the new TV of people watching these sort of DIY theoretically self-produced shows on YouTube. And so it's like, what would it be like if you were going to watch a, um, you know, a show created for the internet, a live stream show. And so we put that screen between us and the audience um, as a suggestion, you know, that what the show is about and what the things that were, you know, topics that we're trafficking in is, you know, has so much to do with 
the screen as an object in culture Mm -hmm. and how the screen changes our ideas to entertainment when it's as omnipotent as the smart smartphones are to us. And so we watched a lot of like vloggers and YouTubers and Twitch people and live stream stuff and noticed that unlike um, classic, let's just say classic television, which has entertainment in the program that's meant to hold your attention long enough to watch the commercials new television online is basically just one long commercial right (laughs) everything is a commercial (laughs) is that why there are commercials within your show i mean i feel like yes (laughs) there's a part of our show there's one of our websites that would say uh, you know uh, or we used to do this mantra meditation that was like our show is the commercial for the commercial which is the best show (laughs) the best show is a commercial for our show which is the best commercial (laughs) Something yeah, like so that. essentially it was just make well, so if nobody has seen the performance, just to give like a, a, a description of the setup, we designed this kind of black and white op art set and backdrop that um, has green shapes for green screen to be keyed out. And then we have um, t-shirts that we sell, we quote unquote sell t-shirts throughout the show. We have other props. We have other things that we get to play with. And then we have these two webcams that we both play with and move around that then feeds through a live software program called OBS that is rear projected onto a screen between us and the audience. So essentially it's a live show that is happening behind a screen. Right. <laughs> and you're not actually selling t-shirts though. This is a, <laughs> this is more well, of like, are you? Did, we did sell a bunch of t-shirts <laughs> yeah. actually. So is the, is the piece a critique of modern technology? Is it a celebration of modern technology and a critique at the same time? I think it's both. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a question. Do yeah. we know yeah. it is critique? Right. Is the word critique used only for a negative light? I think that we are looking at technology and asking a lot of questions in in the only way I think we know how to as artists, which is to reenact it, to play with it, to mess with it, to look at it closely and to turn it on its head and and see what comes out of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, mean, I think you're right. Art is is about asking questions, and you definitely ask a lot of questions in this show. Totally. Uh, what are some of the <laughs> questions that you're you're thinking about as you're making this work, or or even questions that you ask as the performers in the show? Mm. Oh, uh, what's the Wi-Fi password? Is one question <laughs> yeah, that? that comes to mind. Wait, yeah. I like why this. does your sign say free Wi-Fi outside, and then when I get inside, you demand I buy something? Right. <laughs> and you have a you have a song you have a song specifically about this in the show. <laughs> we do. Can you? We have a whole another... movement, Gabe. There's a whole political movement. What is that yeah. political movement? The free Wi-Fi dot life movement. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So, free Wi-Fi, right? It's although you're kind of approaching it from a comedic standpoint. This is actually a pretty serious topic in the sense that Absolutely. you know a lot of people believe that everyone should have access to free Wi-Fi, and is that what you're advocating for in the show? Definitely. (laughs) 
I think, yeah, I think the free Wi-Fi, the free Wi-Fi movement get kind of gets back to your last question in an important way too, which is like, are we critiquing? Are we celebrating? Mm -hmm. And the issue with the free Wi-Fi came about as this idea that the more and more we rely on certain services for our own economic survival, we have to ask as a society, you know, at some point, is this a monopoly on our, our own, you know, need to survive? And should it be like a utility? You know, people are saying that Google and some other kind of internet related platforms should be considered utilities. And so we just made a, a sort of a parable of Wi-Fi being this thing that we all need, um, particularly, yeah, I mean, anyone working in yeah, everyone just needs it. And so we sort of make this demand as a society that it should be free. I mean, it's a preposterous, of course, but. Um, but I do think it's an important, you know, it's, it is a serious issue. I think that there's a lot of parts of the world that don't have access to Wi-Fi. And so I think that by us talking about a, a really simple interaction that happens daily in our developed country and society and culture of buying lattes and buying coffee and it always comes yeah. with a wi-fi password mm -hmm. i think right. we're, we're taking this like micro idea and this micro interaction and inflating it to represent a real a much larger issue that actually i think that we are gonna have to talk about on a larger scale but it also in our daily privileged lives is is kind of hilarious and ridiculous. Right. Yeah, I think there's a nice balance in the show of being comedic, but also dark. <laughs> like your, <laughs> your characters seem like they're kind of fun and trying to be on all the time. But at the same time, there's sort of a darkness about them. Like they they kind of have this moment where they're sort of fighting at, at times. Um, are, yes. these, are these characters based on the two of you or are they exaggerated forms of yourselves? I'm so glad you pointed out that dark, that dark element. <laughs> um, well, I guess know, I should they, ask, is there a darkness in, in what you're doing here <laughs> in, in the way you make artwork? Yeah, I think. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I think Bailey and I were having this conversation the other day, which has to do with disgust and inspiration. And when you're inspired to create something, is there always this sort of inherent level of something that you're disgusted by or upset about. And I can definitely relate to the fact that when we first got inspired with this project, it started with this genuine point of inspiration at, like I said, people performing online. But then it, when we got really deep into it, it turned into a definite disgust about the infomercial quality of everything and particularly, which you're, you may have heard about recently, YouTube was just filed a, a loss, just paid out a lawsuit for targeting to like five year olds. Right. You know? And so it's like, it's like, it's just crazy to us as a little bit older people watching these videos that are meant for 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds how much the people and they have got 13 to 20 million followers right how much time is actually spent marketing products and goods to those to that dynamic and that's why i make so many jokes in the show about kids 
getting your parents' credit card out of your out of their purse or wallet and just buying something from us. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's and a huge, that is yeah, it's a huge dark. problem, right? Yeah, it's it's just yeah. I, I had a friend who works at YouTube and he was saying how they would purposely program in ads to wake you up if you fall asleep while you're watching it. Like they'll put a horror oh ad God. like in the middle of uh you know an ASMR video or something so that people like jerk <laughs> yeah. back to life so they're still watching it. Oh, um <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah, I mean so what what are your thoughts about how we're consuming media i mean so much of your your project is about um you know the, the speed of media um and how fast we're consuming this and how it's impacted our our lives um do you are you too obsessed with instagram and with youtube and everything else or do you find times to to kind of uh check out of that sort of thing <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I think, I think it's both. I think that we started working with these ideas out of interest and confusion and wanting to know more about it, what, what it represents as being a creative in a, you know, digital society. And, and I think that the more that we work with these ideas, actually, the more knowledgeable we get about how they work and how they function and how they affect us. And so on one hand, I think that we are more educated technology consumers, and yet we also very much consume and and feel the repercussions. I know that Scotty and I have both started a meditation practice that yeah. is um, feels pretty <laughs> important to unplug at times mm -hmm. and to and to watch that consumption. But it's also pretty fascinating, and 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 I do think we live in an amazing time when our work can be seen by anyone across the world, and we can access other people. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it's also something to really be cautious of, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think from my perspective, one of the things that I don't know how much it comes across in the show, but it, the personal element for me is that, you know, I'm not actually very social media savvy and I'm not comfortable particularly in that domain and it, I'm not sure again how much it comes across, but I feel like our characters are not really success. Like they're kind of losers a little bit. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're <laughs> like, I don't know whether that comes across or whether it even is relevant, but they're not necessarily super successful. I mean, they're trying to sell grabbies or popcorn and like, what's a grabby for um, people who don't know. Oh, a grabby is one of those tools that People Helps you use, grab things. Pick up garbage off the ground. Like a robot or, arm, kind of. Like yeah, yeah. kind of like a cheap robot arm. Um, yeah, there's but, an air of desperation about the characters that I find exactly. that, that really hits home with a lot of people on uh, YouTube, right? The idea that, oh, here's my life. Like, watch my life. It's so exciting. But really, it's just yeah. like, please, I need attention. Please, you know, yes. like, we're kind of in this world now where everybody wants more and more attention. And we feel rewarded for for asking for attention in some way. Uh, yeah. And so that reflects completely in your characters. Oh, good. <laughs> but that gave, you know, that goes back to another interesting thing that the, the sort of disgust and inspiration thing for the project. One of the things that we would do is instead of looking at a really famous person's videos all the time, we would look through their followers list 
hmm. and find the person who had the least amount of followers who followed them. And it would usually be like a 12 or 13 year old, you know, kid who made like three videos that year apologizing for how they didn't post regularly and just like struggling so hard to get the words out of their mouth. That's like, be sure to like, and subscribe guys. Right. You know, I'll try and do better next time for the video. I, I know this wasn't really funny. Oh God, I'm horrible. (laughs) And it's just like this pain, this genuine pain that you feel people struggling with. And the ideas of fame have changed so much since we were kids. Like we used to make home videos and just we watched them, our friends watched them, but we didn't think we were going to post them and then suddenly become a millionaire. Right. You know, it didn't have that sense of hope or failure if we didn't become a viral sensation. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that you're looking for inspiration for characters in the followers of other <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> right. so that's, I mean, it's, I wonder if these people would ever, I mean, they'll never find out probably, uh, but maybe they will one day. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe. It's, it's super, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> the idea of like reality television um, expanding outside of any kind of broadcasting company and being made just with people on the internet. Um, yeah. So let's talk a yeah. little bit about, we haven't mentioned Yayoi Kusama yet. Um, <laughs> quite possibly one of my favorite parts of the show. There's a song about Yayoi Kusama. Uh, yeah, excuse me. Uh, this is the Yayoi Kusama art show where I can get my picture taken, please. Correct? Yes? Hello? Hello? Painting, drawing, sculpture, installation, performance art, pop art, fiction, fashion, writing. The Kusama song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a huge fan. I personally, my background is painting and sculpture and immersive installation and set design. And she is a crusader and her work from the very beginning has to do with you know, what's the word being, uh, activating real space where she's inviting the viewer to come and interact with her sculpture. She's putting her body in her sculpture. She's making work about narcissism. I mean, so in, in the history of her work, she, to me, emulates since the sixties, this question of self and work in relationship to society and culture and and mirroring that whether it's like her actual mirror boxes or her narcissist balls but um so when we were when we were doing research for this project she kept coming up for for me in inspiration of the design of the work Mm -hmm. because it at the time I was thinking I, I felt I felt like so much pressure as a visual artist to make my work photographable and Instagrammable. Like, of course I want people to stand in front of it and take a selfie because that's how it gets seen. And so I think that when we were thinking about what we were doing, I, I know that I kept on wanting to come back to this Instagrammable background for the set. Like it, right. it needed to be a set that felt uh, visually empty as well as, poppy and um i mean kusama yeah art funhouse vibes that um that you see everywhere and in in advertising for sure yeah but but to me 
Kusama's the queen of that. She she really she starred. I mean, there are other ones, of course, but so yeah. when we were getting excited about this show and talking about these ideas and looking at her work, it made the most sense to make a song about her. Yeah, that totally so makes sense. Right. I mean, it sounds like even the themes of Kusama's work are are echoed in what you're doing with Hundred Year Plan. The idea of oh, like, yeah. narcissism and being able to put your own body into your work and reflecting that onto other people. Um, the idea that you are both performing behind this screen, but you're also being projected onto the screen. Um, for those right. of you yeah. who haven't, uh, you know, seen Kusama's work before, there a lot of them. Probably the most well-known ones are infinity rooms that you can step into, and a lot of them have been taken photos. People are taking photos of them now and putting them on Instagram. So there's a nice sort of connection there too that I've found. Um, but the song itself uh, is the song celebrating Kusama. So I, I keep asking these questions, but you seem to walk this line of between uh, celebrating Kusama and also being slightly critical of how her work is perceived today. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the interesting thing about Kusama is sort of a chicken and or the egg sort of conundrum, which is that she didn't her really like true explosive fame is partly due to its social media. It's the way that it's so Instagrammable, which obviously was not necessarily her intent, but it shows what something can be done with, you know, like the power of whatever you want to call it, you know, late stage capitalism or whatever to spin something into whatever it wants and we, there's definitely a fine line. We are not critical of Kusama's work for sure. I think it, the song toes a line of being critical of the institution and the, the social media phenomenon producing an environment that questionably misrepresents mm -hmm. an artist's work. And as artists ourselves, of course, that's a topic that we're interested in because of all the pressure ourselves to be Instagrammable and the pressure to make things in an era of, you know, 10 second attention spans. Um, you know, who are we like, what are what are the pressures that are pushing up against us as artists? And that's to me what more that piece is about. But Bailey wrote the lyrics to it. So I also just. You know, I think that I don't know what she's thinking and where she is at this point with her work and and how she feels about it being, uh, you know, her collaborations with Louis Vuitton and um, being the most photographed art in the entire world. I think that she wears a costume and 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 plays a part in her, the performance of her own identity at this point and the the song is really more about how we as a society consume her work and and maybe how her work was always about that from the beginning right. i mean i do believe yeah. she's a true I believe she's a true genius. And, you know, I, I did see her docu a documentary on her. I think it was called, was it called Infinity? Yeah, I think um, so. And in the 60s, how she was really terrified about being ripped off. And she hated it when people would, you know, copy her. And, um, 
it's just maybe ironic now that her work yeah. is is so iconic and so and so copied because so of the funhouse because the funhouse aesthetic just copies her and or and just now the photograph you know, is a copy i mean she right, has yeah. all she is herself and so you know i don't know I don't, I, I would love her to see it and for her, or to listen to the song. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> but, see the but performance too. That. Yeah. If you've got yeah. any connections, you know, we're open. <laughs> so yeah, you're, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So how did you come? Uh, so did you just sit down and decide to write a, a song about Yayo Kusama one day? <laughs> Is that how this came about? Yes, it did. <laughs> to celebrate her. Scotty, do you well, Scotty, okay. do you remember? I don't remember. All I know is that I did it in a day. Well, I don't remember. Oh, wait. Hello. Of course I remember. Okay. So yeah, like like Bailey said, she kept she was looking for inspiration for the aesthetic design aesthetic of our show. And she kept coming to this sort of Instagrammable thing that led to the root of where that came from, which was Yayoi Kusama. So then I was working on um some stuff, some I was working on developing the show in my own studio. And I created a mirror effect in the software. And once I saw this mirror effect in the software, it immediately reminded me of the Yayoi Kusama Infinity Room because um, I was using a polka dot pattern mm -hmm. uh, on, on my wall. And then just created a character who was just this naive, uh, really naive guy who showed up at a Kusama exhibition, not even knowing that it was a Kusama oh. exhibition. He just showed up because he heard that that was the place to get your picture taken. And he's just, so I just made this short piece and came up with a chorus that's just like, yeah, you're Kusama, but I didn't have anything. I just read music and that, and then was like, Bailey, um, I, this is all I've got. And she just whipped out this rap just like in a day. Yeah. Just it was incredible. Bailey, do you have a background in rap? Is that why this, this <laughs> yeah. came about? You know, I have dropped a beat for Kanye West. I'm just I, saying. Really? In real life? In real life. What? In high school, actually. Yeah, I know. Oh, don't wait, wait, don't wait. put that on the pad. Don't put it's, that on the podcast. It's definitely going on the podcast. Oh, yeah. What was the beat that you dropped for Kanye West? <laughs> Well, you know what? We, I, I, I grew up in Los Angeles and when I was in high school, oh my God, I can't believe I'm telling this story. When I was in high school, I had a friend who was, you know, dating one of Kanye West's, someone in his entourage. And we went and hung out with them one night while they were recording him and John Legend and Kanye West. Wow. Oh and my we, gosh. This has to end up in the she, show at some point. You have to figure oh, out yeah. <laughs> your, your characters could go meet Kanye or be obsessed, oh, you know. Jeez. Well, you know what? Yeah. Maybe we need to write a rap about Kanye actually. There's a lot of yeah. content there. Yeah, I hope that yeah. that something comes I hope that a song comes out of this podcast and if you could share it with us later, <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, sure. So you work a lot with technology. You're working with um, live streaming. Is that what is that like for live performance? You know, I know a lot of uh, performance artists have been fascinated by a new technology for years. Um, is it difficult to manipulate cameras live to figure out what the audience is seeing versus what you're seeing? How how is it working with live uh, unexpected results like that? Mm -hmm. Um. 
well, it's fun, you know. I mean, the the cameras and the the improv that you know um, we didn't really get into it, but like seventy. I mean, our show is highly structured, but our dialogue is almost completely improvisational, mm-hmm. and we we try to use the technology to support that. I guess to be spontaneous and to be moving cameras around and to use it as like a fun, fun tool instead of getting sort of bogged down by the, um, the weight, the weight of it or whatever. It's really not a very complicated show. It Mm -hmm. it appears somewhat complicated, but the live stream software is, um, fairly simple and easy to use. And, um, for some people, it's not easy to use for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you had things go wrong while you're trying to focus on yourselves while focusing on yourselves, looking at the projection of yourself from behind the screen? Well, Daily. we did in one of our shows. I mean, I think all, all, all the tech stuff, it it is complicated and, and, it, and it does give an air of risk to the show right. because... We don't know if it's going to work. I mean, there were times when we had a mic drop out, which means that I couldn't speak. So the entire time I was I was leaning over into Scotty's mic to finish the show. Um, For which, anyone who hasn't seen it, they're, they're headsets. So it's yeah, not like a shared microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's almost yeah. like a conference head headset. Someone would wear giving like a TED Talk or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I mean... We, I, I know it feels risk. There's always an element before our show, before we go on stage, we make sure all of this stuff is connected properly. We, you know, we gaff our connections and our USBs. And so to me, there is always this kind of, well, the technology could do its own thing, but if we know it and we're prepared, it gives us the structure to play in it. And I think that's what Scotty was referring to. Like we get to use the, use the camera for what cameras are used for, which is going really close to someone's face and getting a totally different um, yeah, visual experience than if somebody was just watching a live performance. Like, so we're trying to use the technology in a way that that gives a different perspective. Um, but yeah, there's there's some risk there. Yeah, I think it felt like yeah. the the technology, the cameras, were sort of uh, part of the improv in some way. That they are like almost a third character in the show that you're responding to while you're performing. Yeah, I love that, and but- I, I hope. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I remember Gabe. Um, we when we talked after the show, you had said uh, something that we had never really thought of. That was funny. That you thought it was kind of funny in a certain regard. You could tell at certain times that we were like looking at a big picture of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, how could we not? I mean, we're stuck behind this big screen, and it's funny because we try so hard not to look at the big screen of ourselves that we're on. But um, it is interesting to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it it's kind sort of, of like, feeds into itself. It's like watching somebody doing a live broadcast on YouTube, who's also very much aware that they're doing that broadcast. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. so there's a nervous energy there that I find really interesting. That's that works with your characters, but you're also right. kind of embodying those characters as you perform. Like it's very unclear how much they are characters, or they're just the two of you. 
<laughs> right. So yeah. uh, I think there's a nice tension there. That kind of infinite selfhood that's interesting. It's like when you FaceTime with someone, you know, and you keep finding yourself looking at your own picture right. in the window. Or, or, you know, to bring it back to Yeri Kusama, you know, you're go- you're inside of one of these infinity rooms. And how much of it is it about enjoying the the experience of being in a sculpture, like an immersive sculpture, or how much is it taking yeah. 45 seconds to take photos of yourself? <laughs> you know, totally. <laughs> it's that totally. infinity too. So if, yeah, you, if you had to update, if you had to update emotional store or, or hundred year plan, I guess, specifically for, for the year 2020 uh, and think about the technology that's going to affect us in the future, what would you forecast? How would these characters behave differently? Do we have an endless budget? Sure. Just- yeah. yeah. Why not? <laughs> Like, like, let's think about a future version where we, you know, forecasting in terms of new technologies that could be available, uh, let's say, in a year or two. In a year or two. Well, there has been a lot of advances in holograms already. It's just too expensive for, I mean, we we definitely are into holograms. Yeah. And we wish we could be holograms in people's homes. <laughs> so you would just turn yeah, on so maybe, Emotional Store, the app, and you would they would appear you would appear next to us. Yeah, exactly. maybe in some future um, 100 year plan version, you download an app. You don't have to leave your house, obviously. Of course, obviously. Yeah. You know, our there's a meal system built in. You don't have to leave your couch. You download the app put on the goggles and you know our show comes to you right <laughs> yeah or no goggles either way but maybe no goggles <laughs> i think i think that yeah that would boost sales of t-shirts a lot <laughs> which is your sure. ultimate goal right that's <laughs> selling the main t-shirts goal. <laughs> you know it reminds me a little bit there's a short story by em forrester called the machine stops that was written in 1909 have you ever read that story mm, no it's, it's this crazy story in 1909 that basically forecasts the internet where people basically stay at home all day and are plugged into this machine and their whole point in life is to exchange ideas. And wow. and are you kidding? No, in 1909. 1909. Yeah. It's, you know, it's an amazing wow. short story, uh, but it reminds me of what you just said, sort of the idea that I could just turn you guys on as holograms in my house and never leave and just exchange ideas with you as a performance. I really like that idea mm-hmm. in a dystopian mm-hmm. kind of way, I guess. Yeah. And we would be like ourselves sort of AI entities. So we could be, interactive and personalized in every single home. <laughs> I love that. It's so cool. So just briefly, um, I'd love to talk quickly about your other performance, Trial Child. Um, can you describe uh, what Trial Child is about and how it's set up differently than 100-Year Plan? Um, yeah. So Trial Child is a story about a um, couple in the future, near future. I think it's supposed to take place in 2026. Um, who live in a world that rewards high self-control above all else. And their name are Dan and Peg. And Dan and Peg purchased this new product that's called a trial child, which is a robotic replica of their own would-be child. And they're so excited. This is like this big purchase for them. You know, they're very like Midwestern sort of middle class, live in a small apartment in a corridor whatever that means type of place. Mm-hmm. And um, they get this trial child. And the idea is that when you wake it up, you give it basically uh, the equivalent of the marshmallow test. And that's you put its favorite treat in front of it. And you say, if you wait until we come back in the room, you can have two of this treat or 
it's right there in front of you. You can eat it as soon as we walk out of the room, you know, your choice. Mm -hmm. And that's like a litmus test for kids in this society. And then depending on how they score on that test, they basically get labeled. And so Dan and Peg, um, become very frustrated because their trial child torrent fails the test miserably every single time. (laughs) And, um, they embark on this sort of training program because Peg, the mom is a clinical psychologist herself. And Dan is just like a project guy. And, um, (laughs) yeah, so that's basically the story there. Um, and Scotty, you, you play multiple characters in this performance. I do. I play all the characters. Yeah, I play Dan, Peg, Torrent, the trial child, and the therapist, Robert. Um, eventually, they get so frustrated with him, they send him to a therap- another therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and where did this idea come from, this idea of, of the trial child? It honestly just came from a, the, the old noggin up here. I just thought, yeah, you should be able to rent a kit before you <laughs> get into it. You know, like, what the heck? And, uh, that idea just kind of stuck in my mind until eventually it came back when I read this book by Walter Michelle, the scientist behind the marshmallow test, mm-hmm. um, all about self-control, um, because it was an interesting topic to me and, um, self-control as it relates to technology is particularly interesting to me because, you know, we all struggle in this society because we're constantly bombarded with stimuli that are meant to make us eat something or drink something or buy something. I mean, it's like we're just bombarded with these stimuli. And it's really hard because everyone's like, oh, you should control yourself, you know, to spend wisely, don't buy that, don't eat this and that, exercise, etc. But when it comes to technology, it's a little bit of a blind spot in our culture, to be honest, because in my view, we rely so, so heavily on technological progress for economic development. We don't socially want to be very critical of it. Hmm. It's like an elephant in the room that we, we're just like, we need that. And that's our most important form of continual growth. We can't just like publicly, you know, teach children like what the effects of this are going to be or something. I mean, I think the ultimate analogy is how, what a problem texting and driving is like technology has such control over us that we're willing to forego all sense of caution in a traveling death machine to send a message to someone because we don't have the self-control to stop ourselves and we don't. And that's why we're going to go towards driverless cars Right. So we almost so just I, invent another solution like the trial child always, to cure exactly. our problems more than to that's deal with exact, them. That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it, Gabe. <laughs> I haven't even seen this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I, I do see the the through line in both your pieces that there's, there's an obsession with technology and the way it's completely overtaken parts of our lives. Um, in trial child, mm. you know, that's the idea that, oh, maybe if we just try out having a child first, even though it's a synthetic child, we'll decide what's going to be right for us or quantify what's right for us. And in a hundred year plan, it's if we get enough attention, we, we will somehow survive. So it's almost like yes. you're inventing new ways yes. of uh, evolution through technology in both your performances. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and they, I think it all stems from our own anxiety about how we're going to survive as artists, right. to be completely frank. Are you worried about that? 
Yes. <laughs> so how are it's you? Hard. How are you going to survive? Do you have a Do you have a hundred year plan? No. <laughs> ba- Bailey, do you have a Do you have an idea of how to survive as an artist? If you If you have one, let me know because I'm I could use it as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll come up with something. We're constantly coming up with plans. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll come up with something, but you know. I don't know. Can we even have a hundred year plan at this point? Technology yeah. changes so rapidly. I mean, I know I am constant, you know, pe- the algorithm in Instagram keeps changing. People say, do not rely on these algorithms to build your business or to build your brand. Because the truth of the matter is, is these are the kinds of things that you actually can't rely on because it's, it's really only existing for its own good. So I don't know that we can come up with a plan Mm -hmm. other than maybe be open to figuring, knowing that it's going to keep changing. Maybe that's the plan. Like how, how can I be okay with the fact that there's going to be a different Instagram in 40 years and as a visual artist, I maybe have to be okay with that or figure out some other way to, to interact with that, with the technology. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just great that whatever comes at us, I think you two will be making interesting reactions to it through performance or whatever you get into next. Um, so. so before we go, um, I want to do what we do here every week on state of the art, which is some rapid fire questions. So these are just <gasps> super quick questions. Um, don't overthink them at all. Just the first thing that pops into your head. Um, okay. Should we talk over each other? Okay <laughs> or should we do like one at a time? Yeah. Um, it's probably better if you do one at a time. Uh, so okay. you can decide who goes first. I won't uh, make that decision for you. Um, but here Scotty we go. Goes first. Okay. Scotty goes oh, first. Okay. That's how it's going to go. Here we go. First question. If you had to be transformed into an object, what would it be and why? Oh gosh. Um, I, first thing I thought is a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> okay. <which laughs> may not count. But why a dinosaur? Gosh, I don't know. It just seems to be awesome to be like that <laughs> bit. Like there's big animals now, but imagine if you could be a dinosaur. Man, that would be cool. All right. That's fair. Bailey. <laughs> Oh, we're going that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first object. I'm going to say, oh, jeez, Louise. Uh, I guess I'll Don't go think. with, okay, I'll, I'll go with marble sculpture. <laughs> I have a particular thing or just, just a piece of marble in general, like a big flat piece of marble? <laughs> I'm or of say, yourself you want a no, sculpture of yourself actually actually i'm thinking of a very particular kind of like henry moore beautiful hmm. kind of modern ah. sculpture that just sits in a room controlled you temperature know, controlled temperature controlled beautiful you like museum that. where people bailey come likes around. temperature control <laughs> they just look and they can't touch all right that makes yeah. sense oh <laughs> All right, so let's go with uh, Bailey first on this one. Bailey, what is your karaoke song? Anything Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Not a particular like hand, a hand in pocket. What's it called? Hand in my pocket. Uh, I really can. T- I'll do anything from that album. Okay, that right. feels anything right. from Jagged Little Pill. Exactly. Uh, right. All right, Scotty. <laughs> well. Um, 
I do a really good crimson and clover. I know that. Mm-hmm. But my go-to is to pick an entirely random song I've never heard before. What, like just, you just pick a number from the book? Yeah. just wow. I, well, Or a fun title. You know, I like I like if I know a fun title, but it doesn't really matter. I, I like to do songs I've never heard before. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. I'd like to go to karaoke with the both of you. Um, and Ooh, then the I last question, that, last rapid fire question here. We'll start with Scotty again. If you had to eat one meal over and over again for the rest of your life, what would it be? Wow. Um, it would probably be... Jeez. Garlic chicken, Chinese food. <laughs> All right. That's good. Yeah. It's a great dish. Wow. Yeah, I can see you wouldn't get sick of that probably after a while. So that's good. Yeah. Bailey? I'm going to say uh, Korean barbecue, bibimbap, including the, the appetizer dishes. And all the banchan. Exactly. Like, uh, I wish I could change mine now. <laughs> God, you picked such a good one. <laughs> is that right banchan did i get that wrong it is banchan, it is banchan. No, okay exactly yeah right. that's yeah. great because then you have like infinite choices forever it's it's awesome uh all right guys thank you so much for being on the show it's a great way thank to end you. there on the korean barbecue uh <laughs> how do we <laughs> it all comes back around <laughs> yeah how do we find you online like how can people f- find your work emotional.store yeah, our website is www.emotional.store and our gram is emotional underscore store. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on State of the Art, uh, Bailey and Scotty, Bailey Hikawa and Scotty Wagner. Um, please go and follow their work and hopefully you'll be able to see it in person coming soon. Uh, yeah, so definitely. And Trial Child is on our website entirely free to watch. And um, the 100 year plan will be coming out soon as sort of a interactive media piece online so stay tuned for that fantastic well thanks so much again and we'll uh, see you next week on state of the art can't wait thanks gabe bye wow emotional store what a trip talking to the two of them uh for state of the art i'm gabe bc you can follow me at at gabe bc i'm pretty much everything state of the art is created by ethan appleby produced by vanessa wilson and with our fabulous audio engineer weston stevens Uh, so stay tuned next week for more interesting discussion about art and tech bye